0: There we go. All right. Fixed. Technical difficulties over. All right. We are going to continue our series called Having a Heart Like God with a Life Like Mine. And we're studying the life of King David. Today's lesson is the second part. Last time we, we looked at David was just a regular guy. And the truth is that all of us can have a heart like God, no matter who we are. And David, as famous as he became... And as greatly as he was used by God, was just a regular person, just like we are. We saw that last time. Well, today, we're going to start looking at some of the characteristics of someone who has a heart like God. And I don't know that this is the most important, but it's got to be at the top of the list. It definitely is where we have to start, because this is something that is not natural to most of us. And that is, we're going to look at David the servant. So I want you to look at 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 14. The Bible says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but that is one of the saddest statements in all the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Very interesting little section of Scripture dealing with the life of David right after we were introduced to him. In the first part of chapter 16, Samuel comes to Jesse's house. He looks for the new king of Israel. Of course, Saul was the first person anointed king the very first king, following the period when they had judges that ruled over them. Saul was the first king. Saul disobeyed God. And it wasn't that he just disobeyed once. He disobeyed repeatedly the things that God told him to do. So God finally said, I need to find somebody that's got a heart like mine. And that's the person I'm going to make king. And so he came to Jesse's house. And, of course, he looked at all the brothers. And none of them God gave approval for until he got to David, the youngest. As a matter of fact, Samuel, when he got there, was preparing to have a feast, a worship time. And The Bible says that after he looked at all the sons of Jesse, he actually said, do you have any more? And he said, yeah, we have the youngest, David, but he's with the sheep. David was not even at the worship service. He was out taking care of the sheep, because according to his father and his other brothers, surely he can't be the one. So we saw last time, as we were introduced to David, David was just the regular person that God took and made something out of, and he can do the same thing with us. Now today, we're going to talk about David being a servant, and I want us to look at a couple of things real quick. Number one, what does it mean to have a heart like God? Last week, um, one of the members of our class and I, we were having a conversation, and, and this question actually came up. You know, what does it really mean to have a heart like God? Does that mean I'm like God? Well, of course, we know that can't be true because none of us are like God. We're sinners. So our heart can't be exactly like God. As a matter of fact, in the Davidic covenant, whenever God promised the the line of the Messiah to come through David, what day, what God told David through the prophet was, that I will love you and care for you and preserve your line. However, I will punish you when you disobey me, but I will never stop loving you or withdraw myself from you like I did with Saul. So it doesn't mean that we are like God, that we never sin. And it doesn't mean that when we sin, God does not punish us. For that's what he told David, the man after God's own heart. However, what it does mean is that God never stops loving us. So, in, if it's not that I'm just like God, then what does it mean? What does it mean to have a heart like God? Well, let's look at this real quick. There's a couple of things. Number one, the definition. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, and verse number 14, and in Acts 13 and verse 22, these are the two places in the Bible where God mentions the phrase of David being a man after God's own heart. Now I want you to look at them real quick because there's a couple of things in each of these that I believe are important. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord, and by the way, he's talking to Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because here is a clue As to what it means to have a heart like God. It's also the factor that made the difference between Saul and David. And here it is. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. The biggest difference between David and Saul was. God knew David would do what he told him to do. And Saul wouldn't. God told Saul what to do. Saul always wanted to do it his way. Saul didn't listen to God. Saul didn't take God seriously. God said, I want you to go into this community. I want you to destroy everything. Don't save anybody. Saul thought, well, you know, why don't I save the king and I'll save some of the best of the livestock and I'll bring it back under the excuse, I'll offer it as a sacrifice to God. That's when God said, obedience is better than sacrifice. If I told you to do something... What I want you to do, God says, I just want you to obey me. Don't question me. Don't rewrite what I've asked you to do. Just do what I tell you to do. You don't have to understand it. Just obey it. In Acts chapter 13, the same thing. When God, the the disciples were talking to the Jews about the Davidic line, in Acts 13, and they said, God chose a man after his own heart one Who would do everything God told him to do? So, what is the key to having a heart like God? It's very simply this that inside the longing of my life is to do whatever God tells me to do. Doesn't mean I don't fail at that, doesn't mean I don't sin. It doesn't mean that I obey God perfectly every time. It just means that in my heart, the desire of my heart is just to do whatever God tells me to do. Let me show you this. A couple of words. The Bible said David was a man after God's own heart. So I went in and I began digging into the, the Hebrew for the, one, the passage in 1 Samuel and the Greek meanings in Acts chapter 13. And here basically is what these two words mean. The word heart literally refers to a person's inner being, their mind, or their will. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, the Bible says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. The word mind there is the word that means mind, emotions, or will. So literally, the heart is the innermost part of my being. It's where everything I am and do in life comes from. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Keep your heart, Proverbs 4, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What I am on the inside is who I really am. Now there are a lot of people, including me sometimes, that I don't, on the outside, portray accurately what I'm really like on the inside. We like to call those people hypocrites. A hypocrite is not someone who goes to church and claims to be a Christian and sins. A hypocrite is somebody who goes to church and claims to be a Christian and sins and tries to make everybody think they don't. That's a hypocrite. All Christians sin, don't we? I mean, we all do. The difference is, in my heart, a person who, in their inner being, wants to obey and be like God when they sin and disobey God, and they realize it. The prodigal son, the Bible says, when he came to himself, when he realized what was going on, he was broken and went to his father. Sometimes it takes us a while before we realize it. I mean, we do it, and it's okay for a while. We don't really realize what's going on. But once God points it out to us, the true believer, the one who is after God's own heart, that bothers him. And we're broken, and we try and fix it. We want to do what's right. The second thing is the word after. A man after God's own heart. Well, that word just simply means having the same inclinations. In other words, if I am a man after God's own heart, then I am inclined or I have the same inclinations that God does. In other words, I like what He likes. I dislike what He dislikes. I love when He loves and who He loves. I stay away from the things He would stay away from. I try and treat people the way He would. Now, what is that? That's nothing more than living the Christian life following the example of Christ. That's all it is. Now, once again, do we do that perfectly? No, we don't. However, in my heart, that's what I want to do. That's the desire, the drive of my life. I want to be like Christ. So here's the key. Obedience. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11. through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, what we're talking about with David, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even unto the death of the cross. There's a couple of things about being like Christ or having the heart of God in that passage that deals with being a servant. Number one, it takes humility. We're not going to be very good servants if we're proud. And believe me, if you live for God and we do what God tells us to do, there are going to be times we are going to be severely humbled. Number two, we have to be obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient. So when the Bible says in verse 5 of that passage, let this mind, attitude, or way of thinking be in you, which was in Christ, Literally what Paul is saying is that I am to be humble and I am to be obedient because that was the attitude of Christ. So what does it mean to have a heart like God? Well, it just simply means on the inside, I just want to do what God tells me to do. Now, I want you to notice the second thing real quick about this, and that's the decision. Wouldn't it be great if the moment we all got saved, everybody that got saved just immediately became what we call People on fire for God. Wouldn't it be great? You ever walked around and just looked at people just here at church? I mean, how many people, percentage-wise, do you think are really on fire for God versus how many just show up on Sunday morning because it's just what we do on Sunday morning, and then five minutes after they left the parking lot, they don't remember or live Or resemble anything like what we were just trying to do. What do you think the percentage would be of people? Wouldn't it be great if that's just how everybody was? The truth is we're not. And the reason is we're human. We have the Spirit of God living in us, but we also have a sin nature. And according to the book of Galatians, those two battle for control of our life all the time. So we're constantly in a war. We're in a war with ourselves. To do what is right. We don't always win that war. As a matter of fact, a lot of times, especially as young Christians, we lose more than we win. So, let's take a look at a few things. First of all, I want you to notice that in order for me to have a heart like God, it is an actual decision, a volitional decision I make of my own will. Nobody makes me. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you can understand what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is. All of that starts when I willingly present my life, my body, to God as a sacrifice. Now, a sacrifice is humble and it's obedient. How many times do you think that lamb of the first year without spot and blemish was placed on that Jewish altar as a sacrifice, and right before they were ready to light the fire, the little lamb stood up and said, hey, what are you doing? I ain't doing this. I'm leaving. Never. That's why Paul used that terminology in Romans 12. We are a living sacrifice. Now, the good thing is our sacrifice is life. We don't have to be put on an altar and be killed. However, we do have to die to ourselves as we become that sacrifice, okay? So, first of all, there's a choice. Now, I want you to notice this because it's very important. It's very simplistic, but it's the truth. And a lot of times, Satan would love to cloud this idea, making us think there is somewhere in life this neutral ground that we can live on, but there's not. I want you to look with me. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 14. The Bible says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. We will always be on one side of that fence or the other. There is no neutral ground. When the Spirit of God left, the satanic spirit came. There is no middle ground. I'll give you some verses here. That teach that. The choices are simple. It's either God or it's Satan. That's it. There is nobody else. Either God controls and runs my life or Satan does. There is no middle ground. Now let me give you some verses that teach that. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 26. Do you remember when Moses came down off the mountain and Aaron had built the golden calf and they were all marching around the golden calf And Moses came down and he heard the noise and he saw it and he took the tablets and he threw them down out of anger and broke them and he ran down in the midst of the camp. By the way, you remember what Aaron said? Bless his little heart. He said, it's their fault, Moses. I didn't really do that. They gave me all this gold and I threw it in the fire and that calf just jumped out. I don't know how it happened. You know, don't we do that a lot of times? I mean, it's our fault. We just blew it. But we want to blame everything and everybody around us because we are never wrong. Please don't ever be the kind of person that never in your life ever says, I'm sorry, I was wrong. As a matter of fact, you might stand in front of the mirror and practice because we usually have to do it a lot. At least I do. Maybe y'all are better than me, but I end up saying them words a lot. The truth was, Moses got down there. But you know what Moses did in verse 26? This is a man's man, by the way. Moses walked in the midst of that camp and he drew a line in the sand. And he said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come over here. The Bible says the Levites came to him. You know what happened to everybody else? They killed him. 3,000 people died that day. You know why? They wouldn't get on God's side. You know, I wonder what would happen in the United States of America today if we drew a line in the sand and said, everybody that is totally committed to Jesus Christ, come on this side. And everybody that don't, you're dead. Well, you know what we did? It's our society. We say, there's a line out there somewhere. But if I don't go over on that side wholeheartedly, it's okay, because life will go on. I will still go to my job tomorrow. I will still be able to pay my bills. I'll still be able to do this. By the way, do you know when we get most serious about really living for God? When God allows all that stuff to be taken away. And we need Him. There's a decision to be made. And the truth of the matter is, especially in the United States of America today, we are probably, and I'm trying to be kind, some of the most lukewarm, watered-down Christians to ever exist. We never face adversity. I mean, the worst adversity most of us face is somebody laughing at us. I mean, people laugh at us for all kinds of things. The Bible goes on and gives several verses. In Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, Joshua's getting ready to leave. You remember what Joshua said? Joshua said, you need to choose this day who you're going to serve. Whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He made a choice. By the way, fellas, I want you to notice this. For when you get married and have a home, he made the choice for his family. Me and my house, we will serve God. That's what we're going to do. You can make your own choice. Notice something else here. Whether Joshua served God or not had nothing to do with whether everybody else did it. Well, you know, how, how many people are really doing this? I mean, how, how many people are really living for God? Uh, let, let, let me weigh and see which side I want to get on. That's not what he did. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. He'll, he'll love the one, hate the other, or he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Pretty interesting to use that as the other master. But that could be true about anything. Money's not the only other master people have. But Jesus said you can't serve two. You can only serve one, and everybody serves one. Then, in John chapter 10 and verse 10, just in case we're not sure which one we ought to choose, God or Satan, John 10.10, Jesus said this. The thief, Satan, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, but I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Satan is the God of this world. He does everything he can to distort his way of life so that people think it's the good way. He makes it look glamorous. He makes it look like it's fun. Jesus said... If you follow him, he will steal, kill, and destroy your life eventually. Jesus said, if you follow me, I'm come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Now, which one would would you and I want to choose? I mean, that's all we knew about it. Which one would we choose? Well, I think we would all obviously choose God's side. So here is the very pointed and just honest question we have to ask ourselves every day. Am I really choosing that side? Or am I choosing the other side? Well, but I know what God says. I just think we ought to do it this way. That's not the issue. It's either God's way or it's not God's way. It's one or the other, okay? So, having a heart like God is not a watered-down, wishy-washy, if-I-feel-like-it kind of life. That was Saul. If I want to do it the way God says, okay. If I don't, it's all right. I'm the king. I can do what I want to do. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 14, because of that, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, if we're born again, the Spirit of God in the New Testament does not ever depart from us. In Hebrews 13, 6, Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So that's not going to happen today. What did happen was the influence and the power that the Spirit of God brings to a person's life who lives in obedience. That can happen. The Bible teaches we can grieve the Spirit and we can quench the Spirit. He doesn't leave, but he can be restricted from doing what he wants to if we're not obedient, okay? So, that's the hard part, okay? The Bible is tough sometimes. But that's what real Christianity is. That's what brings revival to a community. When people decide Jesus is everything, and they make the decision to sell out completely to Him in every aspect of their life. That's what brings revival. Now, let's look at the second thing. What were some things that were true about David as a servant? Let me give you these four things real quick. They're all found, by the way, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 18. By the way, let let me mention this because we don't have time to go over it. I've kind of alluded to it. In Romans chapter 6, the evidence that we have chosen to follow God is based upon who we obey. Romans 6 says that the one that we yield to, God or Satan. God's pulling me this way. Satan's pulling me this way. Remember the little angel, the little devil sitting on the shoulder? It's kind of that idea. God says do this. The devil says do this. By the way, the devil usually disguises his way by making it my way. God says do this. Bill Crockett says I'd rather do this. And then what we want to do is say the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He pointed you in the right direction, but I did it. I made the decision. He didn't make it for me. Okay? So that's the deal. Romans 6 says whichever one of those I yield to, whichever one I give in to, that's who I am obeying, and as a result of that, that's who my true master is. So I need to take a look at my life every day to, to, to examine which one of those aspects of life am I giving in to the most. We're going to give in to the flesh from time to time. We just do that. But am I doing it all the time? Is God the one that gets every now and then? Or is it Satan that only gets every now and then? You understand what I'm saying? That's what Romans 6 teaches. We don't have time to go through that. All right. one of the four characteristics of David as a servant. Here they are. Number one, verse 18, chapter 16. One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. Number one is craft. David was a great servant. You know why? Because he just served using what abilities God gave him. Now David played the harp. And according to the Scripture, he evidently was really, really good at it. Remember, Saul is the king of all of Israel. I mean, he's got the whole kingdom to pick somebody to come play a harp. His servant said, if you'll find somebody, you can play a harp and let them play when you're discouraged and depressed. That evil spirit, that's what that means. He was discouraged and depressed. If you'll have somebody play a harp when you get that way, it'll make you feel better. And that depression will leave. We don't have time to talk about it, but that is only the beginning of what the Scripture teaches about the power of music in an individual's life to affect their soul and their heart. So, he's got the whole kingdom to pick somebody to play the harp. Wouldn't you think, when he sent his servants out to find somebody, wouldn't you think that they would have found the best harpist in all of Israel? I mean, they are going to be playing for the king. So what does that tell me about David? He must have been at least one of the best. He plays a harp. Now, let me ask you this. Just being honest in your mind. If I told you my passion, my longing in life, my greatest extracurricular activity is to play the harp, what would you think about me? <laughs> He's a little funny. Not so. We're not done yet. You're going to see David was a man's man. Next week, we're going to go through chapter 17 and talk about facing our giants. You're going to see, of all the warriors in Israel, only the harpist could kill the giant. So, what's the deal here? I mean, how does this help me? All right, what skills and abilities has God given you? Remember when we went through our spiritual gift series? Whatever your gifts and abilities are, that's where God wants you to serve. Not where you don't have any gifts or abilities. So the question would be, am I serving God in the area where I'm gifted or where my abilities are? And by the way, if you're not, you're going to be miserable until you do. Okay, second thing, true about David. Also found in verse number 18. We found this guy who knows how to play the harp. Look at number two, his character. He's a brave man and a warrior. The word brave is the word that means courage. The word warrior is the Hebrew word that gives the idea of strength. As a matter of fact, and, and we'll look down in just a second, we will spend a lot of time on it. the Bible also says he was a fine looking man. By the way, that doesn't mean he was handsome. That means his physique was physically fit. He wasn't a wimp. Remember, he's the one that slung a stone and killed a giant. He was physically fit. I mean, he might have been ugly as dirt in the face. But the Word indicates his body was physically fit. He's the one taking care of sheep. He's a farmer. He does physical work all the time. Jesus was a carpenter. He did physical work all the time. These pictures you see, by the way, of Jesus with this little anemic skin and this long, weak-looking hair, I can guarantee you He didn't look like that. He was a man's man. Jesus walked into the temple and took solid oak tables and turned them over and with a whip drove all those people out. Wimps don't do that. David was a man's man. But I want you to notice the two things most about him. He had courage and he was strong, not just physically strong. That comes down when you talk about his outward appearance. This has to do with inner strength as a warrior. If you go back, we, won't, we don't have time to look at it, but read it this week. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, when Joshua took over the leadership of the nation of Israel to cross the River Jordan to go into the Promised Land where they would face the enemies of the land and defeat them. God told him no more than two or three times, be strong and very courageous. You and I cannot live for God and have a heart like God if we are not courageous and strong. When I used to speak to teenagers all the time, one of the things that was the common connotation about Christians among teenagers was, well, if you're a Christian, you're a wimp. I was speaking in a public school out in a farming town in Kansas. This particular public school that year had won the 4A State Football Championship. I gave my testimony and shared with them that living for Christ takes more courage and more guts than living and doing what everybody else does. We had over 20 kids off that football team respond at a public school assembly and trust Christ. You know what two or three of them told me after it was over? Well, we thought to be a Christian, you had to be a wimp. And we're football players. I said, the greatest man's man that ever walked the earth was Jesus Christ. Do you think a weak, anemic person could withstand the pain and punishment that Jesus went through? the weak of his passion? Do you think a weak, anemic person would have lasted as long as he did on that Roman cross? And my friend, to be a real Christian and have a heart like God, we've got to be courageous and you have got to be strong. We can't cave every time somebody goes against us or laughs at us or tempts us to do wrong. Ask yourself, what does it take more courage to do in the midst of a whole group of people in a restaurant where everybody's drinking and partying to grab a beer and join the party or to say no and sit down and bow your head and pray for your food while everybody else is partying what do you think takes more courage you got to have courage to be a christian you got to have courage have a heart like God. The third thing, and that's his charisma. This is interesting. I already told you what, he was a fine-looking guy. Now, I personally, though the Bible didn't tell us, I personally think he was a really good-looking guy. I don't think he was ugly. But the word means he was physically fit. So, I mean, he, he was a macho kind of guy. But I want you to notice the other thing. The Bible says here, he speaks well. By the way, that doesn't mean he's a great orator. The word there literally means he is intelligent. He's wise. He's prudent. This is not some kid that just fell off of the turnip truck. This guy is smart. He has wisdom beyond his years. Do you remember, and we'll look, see it next week, do you remember what he said to the armies of Israel when they were facing Goliath? He sounded like the king. And We'll look at it next week. That's what the word means. He was smart, full of wisdom. And then the last thing is confidence. And I want you to see this because of all the characteristics of David as a servant, this is the most important. The Bible says the latter part of the earth, and the Lord is with him. These servants are describing David and what kind of he's good with a harp, he's brave, he's a warrior, he's intelligent. He's a good-looking guy, but most importantly, the Lord is with him. He has the power of God on his life. Remember what happened last time when Samuel anointed David King? The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. You know what makes you and I effective as servants of God? It's that the Spirit of God has His hand on us. He is using us because we are obedient. That's when things start happening that you can't explain. That's what's most important. Now, is that only reserved for everybody that's perfect? Of course not. If it was, nobody would ever have it. Does it mean that if I sin and do wrong, that God's not going to bless me and help me? Of course not. How many times has God blessed and helped us When we know we didn't deserve it, we didn't even ask for it. He does that because he loves us. Let me share this with you, and uh, we're going to close. Many of you know that um, we're preparing to open this store, and and Lord willing, sometime in the next few months I'm going to go full-time in the ministry. I'm literally (laughs) resigning a job going to do something that has no income. At least not yet. Well, a little bit. Not enough to pay the bills yet. Well, we had applied for a business loan. And we thought it was coming in February. And then we thought it was coming in March. And then we thought it was coming in April. And then the rent for the store started in May. And we thought it was coming the 1st of May. Guess what? It still hadn't come. I got rent due for a store that hadn't even opened yet. It has no income. we got no money. My wife and I got together one day and I said, you know what? This is what God wants us to do. God has blessed us. God has provided. God knows all this. There's a reason why God has not provided that loan yet. So we're just going to pray and trust God. This week, I was in the store one day working, destroying my back. And a friend came by the store. Hadn't seen him in a long time. He actually works for the fire department and came by was going to inspect our fire extinguishers for us and all that kind of stuff. Well, he came in. And we talked for a while. He inspected and he left. I went back to work. About 30 minutes later, he came back. And he walked in and he said, I, I need to talk to you. So I said, okay. And he said, no, privately. He took me to the back of the store, we went out the back door and he said, I need you to, Hev Ryan was there helping me. He said, Hev Ryan, I need to talk to you by yourself. I thought he's having some problems. He wants some advice or something. I mean, that's normally when people come to me, that's what they want. He said, my wife and I were going to take you out to dinner and do this, but we just felt led that I need to do this now. Little did I know, several years ago, five years ago, this couple was having a hard time. And, and we had some money. So we, we, uh, we loaned it. I told him he'd just have it. We gave him some money, a pretty good amount of money, to help him get through their hard time. I forgot about it. He said, we want to give this to you. We're trying to pay you back, and we're doing the best we can. He pulled out a wad of money and handed it to me. And with what my wife made in embroidery business this week and what he gave me, it's exactly what we needed for our rent. That's what the Bible means when it says, and the Lord is with Him. And you know what? He's with every one of us. Every one of us can have every one of these things. You know why? That's how we can have a heart like God with a life like ours. David was like us. So let me encourage you. Being a Christian is not easy. It's the best, but it's not easy. But be strong. Don't be a wimp and don't be ashamed to be a child of God. And be a person that has a heart like God. And I promise you, God wants to give us abundant life. It's the best life we can ever live. Satan just wants to ruin us. Don't listen to him, okay? Next week, we're going to talk about facing our giants. My favorite story in the whole Bible, David and Goliath. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and allowing us to have a heart like you, even though we live lives like we have to with our sin nature. Thank you for caring and loving and forgiving us for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. See you, everybody. Have a great month.